Welcome to Reliability Matters, a podcast for the electronic assembly industry. Each episode covers topics related to reliability, best practices, and environmentally responsible assembly techniques with insights from experts across the electronic assembly industry. Now, here's your host, Mike Conrad. Welcome to episode number 69 of the Reliability Matters podcast. I was privileged to recently be a guest on the Pick Place podcast with Chris Denny from Worthington Assembly and Melissa Hogue from Circuit Hub. This is the second part of a two-part interview. It's kind of a podcast within a podcast. I spent two episodes answering questions about cleaning post-reflow circuit assemblies, stencils, cleanliness testing, and IPC's new cleanliness testing and cleaning process control standards. Here's part two of the two-part series, my conversation with Chris and Melissa about cleaning. Welcome to the Pick Place Podcast, the show where we talk about electronics manufacturing and everything related to getting a circuit board into the world. This is Chris Denny with Worthington. And this is Melissa Hogue with Circuit Hub. Welcome back to the show. This is the second part of our conversation with Mike Conrad of Aqueous Technologies. In the first part, which we recommend checking out first if you haven't listened to it yet, we talked about the history of board cleaning and why someone might want to include board cleaning in their process. But now I want to talk a little bit about the how. Because with organic acid, I think the how is fairly straightforward. This is a soluble a water-soluble flux. Salt not is water-soluble. It's not as straightforward as you think, Chris. Okay, so this is this is what I was hoping you might say. Go because, for it. Yes, the flux in the best of conditions is totally water-soluble. So mm-hmm. one would think, just run water. Remember what I said earlier. There are a bunch of what I call usual suspects that mm-hmm. are also on the board. Usual suspect residue. Yeah, yeah. Board fab. That's right. Yep. Opponent fab. Doritos. Humans, salt, moisturizers, <laughs> yeah. sanitizers, you name yeah. it. Uh, yeah. Oils from various conveyors, all that. And residue species fall into two categories. One or two. They're, they're either polar, which is soluble in water, or they're mm-hmm. nonpolar, which mm-hmm. is non-soluble mm-hmm. in water. Okay. Your flux, water-soluble flux, organic acid flux, is polar. It's coming mm-hmm. off, not always, but sometimes it can get burned on if your profiles are wacky. But but generally, it, it's going to come off just with you got to be doing something wrong to burn it on. Exactly. But uh, yeah, we've seen it all, right? We've seen it sure. all. Sure. Um, but generally, it'll come off just with water. But what about all the, all the nonpolar stuff? Because I guarantee you it's on there. Because yeah. the, the process residues fall into those, those two categories. So mm-hmm. if one only uses water, in the old days, that was fine. Because the process residues were lower than the tolerance because the tolerance was huge because components were miles apart. Mm-hmm. But today, because the tolerance is extremely low due to miniaturization and standoff heights and all that, the just the usual suspect residues might be enough to trigger a, a contamination caused failure mechanism. So that means that when one cleans, best practice would be to clean everything, not just the flux, clean everything. Right. Yeah. And right. I always recommend, even though we make machines, and every company makes machines that use only water, it's our least popular model. Hmm. Uh, I, I think best practice is to use a chemical additive that allows you to remove both polar and nonpolar substances, water-soluble mm-hmm. and non-water-soluble substances. That is best practice. We, uh, 
do not have any plans to use organic acid because um, I just, I don't, how do I put this? Um, I don't like being held down to a time. Right. right. <laughs> it's like that Mission I do. Impossible tape. This tape will self-destruct in 30 yeah, seconds. And, and, exactly. Yeah. It, it's like, I remember, I remember, you know, being a teenager and working at this contract manufacturer and all we used was OA. And it was like, you know, my time to go home was five or five thirty, and then somebody would rush home and be like, "Oh, hey, I just did this rework," and it's it's like, okay, now I got it because I was I was washing boards. That was kind of my job is to put them through this inline cleaner. All right, now I got to stay here another twenty minutes while I <laughs> deal with like it was this. It was stressful to know that you had to get this thing cleaned right away. Although organic acid fluxes are really really nice, they're very they're incredibly powerful fluxes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but. Um, now in order to clean, uh, uh, rosin style fluxes, either RMA or no clean fluxes that we definitely have to have a saponifier, which is just, you know, it's, it's what big grownups like to call soap. I think basically <laughs> a special type of soap. Am, am I right? Yeah. What a saponifier does is it, it runs a process called saponification. So you have the, uh, acids in the flux, you know, mm-hmm. uh, rosin fluxes are, are acidic and then, your typical saponifier has uh, got a higher level of pH. So to be able to use water to remove a nonpolar, a, a non-water soluble material, we have to convert it to soap. So what it does is basically it's a battle of pHs and the result okay. is soap and the soap can be rinsed off in the, in the uh, rinse process. But most mm-hmm. of the modern chemicals don't rely totally on saponification. Uh, they have, uh, aqueous blended, I'll say alcohols as a placeholder. Uh, the chemist okay. in the world will go, they're not alcohol, but they're basically aqueous blended alcohols uh, that will also solubilize the, the soils. Uh, is it like just water. typical ethanol kind of stuff? No, or is it something no, different? No, that from wouldn't ethanol? be, that's okay. not mixing with water. Um, it, it's, yeah. it's beyond well, my pay grade. And I should know this because, yeah, okay. I, uh, you know, we work with the chemical companies very closely. But it's it's a combination of saponification and and um, solubilization that okay. that allow the soils, both polar and nonpolar, to go into solution. So cleaning mm-hmm. is a multi stage process. First, you wash. Yes. And washing does yep. not make your board cleaner. It makes your board actually dirtier because it takes all the sure. solution and puts it into uh, it takes all the contaminants and puts it into solution, as well as all the other solution. That was from prior cycles. That's right. Uh, but it does yeah. it, it does solubilize the material. And then the most important, the most critical cycle is rinse. After the boards are washed, they have to be rinsed. And that's, that's where really we critical. get rid of the wash solution. Think of it this way, Mike. Mm-hmm. I think I think a good illustration for this is imagine washing your hands. Like, okay, you rinse your hands a little bit with water, and then you you get the soap on your hands and you rub the soap all over your hands. And then do you just walk out of the room? Nope. Well, no, your hands are disgusting. Absolutely. You got to rinse them. Absolutely. <laughs> and your skin will burn over time if you don't uh, that's a good point. remove the, the, the soap. And yeah. the same will happen with a board. If you are using a 11 pH, 10 or 11 pH saponifier and washing your boards Shoot. and you don't properly rinse it. Oh, because that's right. Because the flux is an acid. That's why you have a high pH. You'll end up with black solder joints, which customers, you know, don't really like. So, uh, you know, don't give your customer any reason to inspect. 
No. <laughs> if they see something, it could be totally benign. But if they look, what do they do? They find, right? And then oh, they find everything, right? So the the best is when we get the reports back, and the, and the, and it's like I used a forty x microscope. It's like, well, you're going to find anything with a forty exactly. x microscope. Exactly. Yeah. It's like <laughs> they look, they find, and yeah, and and then they keep looking, and then you're suspect forever. I I appreciate you breaking down the 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 general steps of cleaning. It is, uh, you know you know, basically some kind of soap and agitation and then, and then a washing or, or excuse me, a rinsing. Now, my understanding is, and, and what I'd like customers, listeners to understand is there's really kind of, in, in my mental model, there's really kind of three processes for cleaning. There is the old school bucket and a brush, <laughs> right? Which Seen hopefully that. nobody's doing. Uh, but it's, it's more or less, you, you get the soap on there, you get the water on there, the soapy water, uh, you, you get the agitation from a brush or something else. And then you, and then you have a rinse. It's really and, a three B system, Chris. It's, it's a bucket and a brush and Bob. And that's right. Bob is the one that determines if the bucket and the brush are, a, you know, produce a successful result. <laughs> that's it's the problem. Well, in our case, it's, it's Brad. It probably wouldn't be Brad. Bob. Bucket, Bob be, yeah, brush yeah. and Brad. Right. Yeah. If Brad's so, having a bad day or has a hot date on a Friday night. Those last boards aren't coming out clean. I guarantee. Yowza, you. Brad. Yowza. Uh, so yeah, f- funny story. We do have a Brad who works for us, and he's. I always tell. I always tell Brad. I go. I go. You know how you hear these stories of of so and so. You know, you, it'll be on the news. Lester Holt or something will say. You know, so and so died today, and and it was revealed that that they were one of the leading scientists on the Manhattan Project or some. You know. Right secret, super secret thing that they could never talk about. And then they died and it was revealed. And I'm like, Brad, I am convinced. I am <laughs> absolutely convinced that you have some like, cause the guy's just brilliant. He's like off the charts. And I'm convinced that he has some like secret past where he was, you know, maybe not Manhattan project because that's way too old for him at this point, but there is some special project he worked on, you know, the GPS satellite system. Sure. He was in a lot of, you know, the spy planes over Russia. I'm convinced Brad was involved. Yeah. In that. Yeah. We'll it'll find come out. out. It'll come out. It'll come out. Hopefully it'll come not out. for a long time, but it'll come out. But that's, yeah, but that's the kind of guy that's, that's, that's the kind of guy Brad is just completely nondescript and, and just a hard worker and, and focused. But anyway, it just cracked me up. Okay, so we got the three Bs. We got the the bucket, the brush, and 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 Brad. Brad. And um, Brad's the deciding factor. You don't he's the deciding want, factor. You don't want Brad. Sorry, Brad. You don't want any Brad or yeah. any Brenda to Yeah. Oh, we have be, a Brenda. We have a Brenda. There we go. Yep. See? It's all fair. Yeah. To be the deciding factor on what's clean and dirty. You're you're absolutely right. So we we are humans and we are uh great innovators and we've come up with means of measuring uh, soil content in fluids, which is, I think what you're getting at. Um, we have after your, 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 uh, Brad bucket and brush, we have for, for my, for, for my limited understanding. And please, I, I realize this is so, this is such a, um, such a ridiculously insulting understatement, but you have kind of the dishwasher method. Uh, let's call it. Let's call it a no, batch. No, no, no. Let's, yeah. let's just get the D word out of the way, Chris. All right. Let's get the D word. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fair. It's fair. It's to batch it a For years, yeah. I was totally offended by the whole not a dishwasher because we go to a trade show and people go, "Can we put our lunch dishes in it?" You know, just you hear that over right. and over and over again. Oh, you know how many people want to put pizza in my reflow oven? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Or all the time or whatever. 
Yeah, so, Melissa's definitely one of them. But and then so that's kind I'm of a batch a cleaner. It's a batch cleaner. Right. Yeah, it's a and then type. And then there's also your inline cleaners. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I like to call conveyorized, by the way. Conveyorized. That's that's a better way of putting you know it. Because you're not gonna you usually don't put them in line. Perfect. <laughs> Very few people realize that. I'll yeah. I will show a hundred pictures of Whenever I go through plant tours and stuff, I'll, you know, with permission, I'll ask if I can take some pictures just for my, my um, workshop purposes. And yeah. whenever I see an inline cleaner, so-called inline cleaner, it's sure. not in line with anything. Never, it's a, never. It's a 23-foot batch machine. Only, right. only the difference is Brad or Brenda is now running 23 feet from entrance right. to exit, from entrance to exit yep. all day long, right? Uh, in my case, it was just one teenage kid and another teenage kid. One fed it and one unloaded it at, at my at my old my old yep. shop in Jersey. But the um, uh, my understanding is the conveyorized systems are more for speed. Both of them are going to get the job done. Um, I don't. I am not aware of anybody, and I would love to know otherwise because I I think it's super cool if they're able to do it using a conveyorized machine with anything but organic acid. Like I've never, I've never walked into a shop and seen a conveyorized machine and gone, oh yeah, we, we're, we're clean and no clean with that machine. Particularly in the older days, it was all, almost all water only. Okay. Um, now for reasons that I've, we, we've already reviewed, a lot of people are, are catching up to the fact that they need a chemical for all the other usual suspect uh, contamination species that are on the assembly. And that's where it gets really tricky. Uh, there's a couple of misnomers. I talked about, about, conveyorized machines. One is that they're rarely in line with anything for logistical reasons. The second is that they are faster. Well, the, the, the move from eutectic, uh, from leaded alloys to lead free alloys kind of changed that. And the use of chemicals in most cleaning processes also changed the speed and the tight tolerances, the little two mil standoffs we have to get under a BTC with, uh, have yeah. also affected the speed. So the average bottom speed, terminated component for thank those you. listeners yes, who don't thank know, you. Yes. <laughs> bottom terminated components um, made by a uh, invented by a young engineer whose parents never told him they loved them enough because he decided to get back at the world with the introduction of bottom terminated components. <laughs> I his, love bottom terminated components. I like as from a manufacturing perspective, they're so easy. They're they are, so easy. But from a residue perspective, they're not voiding. Yes. You can't, you can't get, unless you have some very expensive vacuum reflow technology, yes. you're not going to get zero voiding. IPC That's knows right. that they said you can get 30% voiding. The yep. problem with voiding is we hear the word void. We think it's, there's nothing in it. It's only void of solder. Guess what it's filled That's with? Right. Flux. Flux residues, right? Yes. That's what's causing the void. And that's right. And that's very problematic from a contamination standpoint. It ain't air. I know it that much. It ain't air. Exactly. No. <laughs> it ain't air. It's, it's, it's bad actor, uh, unactivated residues from NoClean that aren't mm-hmm. going to, that are going to be um, problematic. Anyway, I'll go back to where we were. Um, the average inline speed, conveyorized speed, used to be four to six feet per minute. Back in the day, Whew. four to six. I mean, it was, a, it was a race car. That's hauling. The average speed today is half a foot per minute. Oh, I definitely turned that up, by the way, because like once the boss went home at the end of the day, I was like, I am not you sitting here all you the day. One oh, the, the, the absolutely. Board. I was like, this is ridiculous. I can feed these things faster than this thing can take them. Yes. Crank that bad boy up. Well, the average conveyorized length, the average conveyorized cleaner length is 23 feet. 
That's average. Okay. Some are a little sounds about right. Some are yep. smaller, some are larger, but 23 feet. So imagine people like, I need a conveyor ice machine for speed. Put your first board in at half a foot per minute. That's 46 minutes before the first board even pops out the other side. Wait, we're down to half a half a foot a minute That's now. The average speed today, half a foot a minute. Wow. Yeah. Holy! No, there are exceptions to that. You're going to have some of your some of your listeners are going to go. Wait a minute, we're running three quarters of a foot a minute. Okay. Fine. <laughs> yeah, sure. All right. Well, you're well, let's still. Let's assume yeah. it's a foot a minute. Let's assume I'm off by all that. It's still 23 minutes before the first one even makes an appearance. Yeah. But half a foot is pretty common right now, and. If you that have a larger machine, slow. you can run faster, Holy but cow. you've got more space to, to travel. So that's right. So, it's like a reflow. Oven. Yeah. It's very like you buy a big giant long reflow oven because you want to put a bunch of boards through it quickly, not because right. you think it's going to be able to handle the thick boards. A small reflow oven will handle the thick boards. Right. It just has to do it slower. Well, there's two things you need when you buy a conveyorized cleaner. Uh, one is uh, space. space and, and yeah. utilities and DI tank farms and all that. You need all that. And you also need a, uh, a sign to put in the parking lot to reserve a parking space for your chemical salesman. <laughs> because that's what I was thinking. Because they are chemical hogs. And which that's is exactly what I was thinking. If they never turn off, if you're just running production, 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 and board after board after board after board, who cares? A Greyhound mm-hmm. bus gets probably four miles to the gallon, but you have 68 people on it, right? Yeah. So that's it, right. it works out. You would not yep. take a Greyhound bus to take three kids to soccer. You would nope. take a minivan to take three kids to soccer. It's just, it's just right. efficiency. However, there's still a mentality left over from legacy that I got to buy a conveyorized cleaner. I don't want a dishwasher. I got to buy a conveyorized cleaner. And the, what they don't realize is, you know, they take an hour to warm up. They, they take a huge mm. amount of space. They usually require hearing protection or noise abatement kits either way. Um, and the average, if you run it just eight hours a day, the average chemical consumption is around 70 or 80 grand a year. You're going to pay for three quarters of the machine year over year over year over year. So that's when trying to clean, that's when trying to clean no clean, not organic acid. That's running a chemical, right? Yeah. So yeah. which one should do on anything? But yes, running a chemical. But perhaps you could get away with a bit less if you were doing organic acid. Yes, that's true. You can run. Yeah. Yeah. When I say, you know, 70 or 80 grand a year in chemical costs, I'm assuming a 15% chemical concentrate, which is pretty okay. typical. 10 to typical. 20 is typical. So say 15. Okay. If you're running an OA flux, you can probably get away with three to 5%. Okay. Right? Because you're, you're not having to saponify the, the, uh, the flux, which has gone through an oven, which has, you know, been baked and it's, it's hard to form, um, channels, you know, irrigation channels through them and, and, and solubilize them. Uh, the other residue species are a little easier to come off with lower percentages. Okay. So it would be lower. But but conveyorized machines have their place. We've sold conveyorized machines for, for years, off and on. We've had a love-hate relationship with conveyorized machines. And then, you know, now all we deal with is batch, but not because mm-hmm. um, for any other reason than, you know, we just really believe batch. And I'm not promoting our company. Any company that builds batch machines, I think, are on the right track uh, mm-hmm. because they mm-hmm. are incredibly efficient. Well, they, right, right. They, they don't have that huge chemical cost. In fact, your your salesman will probably your flux, your uh, chemical salesman will probably never visit you. You'll probably never get a free lunch out of it because it's not worth it. <laughs> it is interesting to me because when we first started talking to uh, uh, cleaner manufacturers such as yourself, I I really didn't understand. I I really sincerely and deeply care <laughs> about 
the earth and the environment and 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 the impact I have on it, it 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 does matter to me. And and I realize um, it's a it's a bit of, it it can it can get into a bit of a political territory and it can get controversial. But as much as possible, I think if you can make a decision that is good for the earth, it tends to be also a good financial decision. Like if it works for you, it can be a good financial decision. So for example, um, I, I plan on buying an electric vehicle pretty soon. We're closing on a house, but after, after we close, I I'm probably going to buy an electric vehicle and I'm doing the math on it. And it's like, if, if I spent, you know, this amount of money on an Audi, you know, with a gas engine versus this amount of money on I'm going to save money because it's so much cheaper. I could put a solar panel on my roof and, and like basically have free fuel more or less for, yeah. for my electric vehicle and sure. looking at looking at my commute. And and then like I looked at all of the uh, – oh boy, I'm going off on a huge tangent here. But if you look at, if you look at the um, effort to create a battery, yes, it's, 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 it's extremely um, carbon intensive to create the battery that goes into these vehicles, especially a high mileage vehicle like a Tesla or something. Uh, but, but then because you're battery one time, right. You're because you're not burning the fossil you're not, fuels, you're not creating a battery in the form of 20 gallons of, of gasoline. That's right. Every week. So, so after, I, th- I think it's like 16 or 20 months or something like that, based on typical mileage, you end up, it, it ends up being beneficial for the earth. And I, I was, I was surprised to find out that, uh, a lot of companies such as yourself, these batch machines that they're making, they are remarkably efficient in, like you were saying before, compared to the conveyorized machines, energy, remarkably energy efficient, remarkably water efficient. I was expecting to have to like tank out 55 gallon drums every week. Oh. And, uh, you know, like I had no idea and like, no, no, why would you, that's ridiculous. It's all self-contained. Like I'm thinking I got to get plumbing and I got to get drainage and I got to fi- Cause we, you know, we've had the department of environmental protection in, um, uh, no, not that, not that deep. Yeah. Massachusetts Dev- department of environmental protection in, and, um, you know, they just want to make sure that we're, our waste stream is proper and, sure. and we're all lined up and we got all that set. And we, we do have a nice process for that. They, they helped us out with that. Um, and that was one of the things that I was concerned about with cleaning is, uh, here, here's something that is just, in my opinion, is a pollutant, right? This is, this is what I had in my mind. If, if, if I start cleaning everything, I'm just going to become a giant polluter. And I was really surprised to learn that is not necessarily the case. And I hope you can kind of speak to, what goes in, what, what is the process of reclaiming the chemistry, reclaiming the water, um, and, and being efficient because that will set my nerves at ease a bit about jumping into these waters. (laughs) Well, one thing that we we preach regularly, you don't want to solve one problem by creating another. Right. right? Exactly. If you have a reliability issue on a board, uh, it's failing because of electrochemical migration, dendritic growth, parasitic leakage, all these things that contaminants can can cause on a board, you don't want to solve that problem at the expense of, of the local water district walking up your pipes and citing you, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so, you know, it's not a pick your poison. You can have both. We are big believers, and this is going to sound, I'm going to sound a little uh, voodoo crazy when I say this. Maybe it's my- Where's my tinfoil hat? Yeah, I got to get your tinfoil hat on and okay. filter okay. out the, the, the microwaves sure. that are going to come from this statement. <laughs> we believe at our company that we need to do something bigger than ourselves. 
Yes. Right? We can, I believe that as a human being. <laughs> I do too. But particularly yeah. we, we bring that into the company and, and some, some listeners are going to go, oh, this guy's kind of crazy, which is fair, right? We are. But we believe that we need to make the world a better place. And how can we do mm-hmm. that? How can you mm-hmm. sell dishwasher type circuit board cleaners and claim you're making the world a better place? Well, environmental. Yeah. So we yeah. made a decision several years ago that we're going to start producing equipment. And this, this is not a commercial. I think other companies do this too. And, sure. and you know, uh, if you got no plugs out of this, I would be doing you a complete disservice. Uh, well, yeah, so you got to, you know, got to brag a little bit. Well, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> company, yeah. No, yeah. Uh, we, we want to make sure that, that we don't ruin the earth trying to make products more reliable. We don't want to solve one problem and create another. So we started building zero discharge. That's equipment. a great point. Yeah. Zero discharge. Okay. Not a drop of fluid goes to drain. And they cost a little bit more, mm-hmm. not much, but a little bit more than than the machines that do put some stuff down the drain. Mm-hmm. And we, we thought, well, let's see where people go. We'll still give people a choice, um, but we'll, let's see where people go. Probably 75% of our products now are completely zero discharge. And we actually no calculated it. I, I'm a marketing guy by heart, right? So that's, I, I love marketing, although that's all morphed over the years. But, but I, I figured out how many five-gallon water bottles that you would have on a water dispenser, how many mm-hmm. of those could we line up based on how much water we've saved in one year? Just us, oh my goodness. one company. That's just one okay. of many. And we can go from here to Dallas, it's standing, standing up, not over the side, standing up vertically, water bottles, these five-gallon water dispenser bottles. We can go from here to Dallas with the amount of water that just one company, just our company, has nice. saved the earth in, um, in one year. And That's awesome. So all of a sudden, our little a little company in a in a you know small company in a big space um, made a difference, and you, mm-hmm. and it's tangible, right? That's that's yeah. That's a boatload. That's of water, a real right? yeah. I shouldn't say a yeah. boatload of water. Boatload of water would hmm. apply the boat hmm. sank, but that would be yeah. But anyway, be pretty wrong, bad. wrong term. But that's a lot of water, mm-hmm. and not just. That it's a pool. That's a pool load of water. It's a pool load of water. In fact, I think we calculated it's eighty six <laughs> Olympic sized swimming pools or something. To Holy yeah. moly! It's a lot of water, and mm-hmm. not just that. Our customers don't have to get a discharge permit in many mm-hmm. regulated areas, like yours, certainly mm-hmm. California and mine. If you mm-hmm. want to put stuff down the drain, it might be totally legal, but you have to register. Okay. And the way it works, at least in California, if you're a registered polluter Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's and i can't speak from experience thankfully but i would imagine if there is a contamination found within Mm. 50 miles i think in california 50 miles they will they will come into your building and just like the example of we don't want customers who put a 40x scope over your boards over the products you sell them we don't want that 40x scope coming in from an inspector because Mm -hmm. what happens when they look they find, and yeah. it may not even be what they were looking for, but they, right. they generally, they figured, look, I drove all the way out here. Uh, I got to find something. I got to find something. Right, exactly. I got to make my boss happy. So if we can just keep our customers from having to even request a discharge permit, there's a thousand other things that can put them out of business, but it won't be this. Right. So, so, so how is that like, how, how is that possible? <laughs> I guess yeah. like you don't, you can't get something from nothing. Like no, you can't no, squeeze no, a rock and get water. It's so. good engineering. It, we we redesigned the machines to allow it to be zero discharge. And okay. And so the the wash solution, right? Mm-hmm. That mixes with the water. 
and it's used over and over and over again. But every time you use it, you lose some because some gets dragged out into the rinse and some goes up the stack because it's heated, right? So some evaporates and that creates a very um, beneficial level of attrition. Oh, you're adding more, adding more. So I have a swimming pool. And I have never, ever changed, other than, well, I shouldn't say never, when I had to resurface the pool, I had to take the water mm-hmm. out. But I never changed the water in the pool right. because I filter it, I keep it in chemical balance, I check the pH, and I have an autofill that, that adds more water as it evaporates, hmm. particularly in the summer. So this is the same reason why in a cleaning system that is a, a tiny bit loose in the wash side, meaning you're going to lose a little and drag out to the rinse. You're going to lose some due to evaporation. So you're going to be constantly adding, you're going to be keeping it in chemical balance and chances are it will not load up as fast. In many cases, it never gets fully loaded because you're turning it over slowly. Sure. In in some cases it can get fully loaded, in which case you have to put it in a drum and haul it away as, as, as waste, but it doesn't go down the drain. Right. Right. And in the world of waste, it's very clean waste, but that's another story. All right. So sometimes you do need to, you you will run into a circumstance where you have to, you'll, you'll have to bin something. You'll, you'll have to take something out of the building in a bin so that you don't put it down the drain. Are we talking about the filters? Are we talking about the water, the dirty water? What, what is, what is sometimes getting drummed and taken out? Yeah. In less common cases, but it, it does happen. Uh, you might have to drum up your spent wash solution. Uh, the wash solution, the wash not solution. the rinse. Okay. The, the rinse water, no. The, but the wash solution might have to be. But in most cases, it doesn't have to be. It's just turned over, kept in the same swimming pool analogy. Don't change the water okay. in the pool. Just keep it in concentration. Keep mm-hmm. it in check. Um, but that it could happen. And that is a like a total of 12 gallons every month or two if okay. you had to remove it. If we had if to. If you had to. The other is uh, a particle filter, which is used to uh, capture anything uh, like solder balls or inspection. Yeah, you're going to have solder balls and all, that yeah. fall off the board. They'll get into a particle yeah. filter. And if technically, if technically there's solder balls in there, then that's technically hazardous waste. Yeah. Um, but you yep. know, make a deal with your dross guy, and they'll they'll be happy to take it. Yeah, that's basically what we do because we have like our stencil wipes, and we yeah. have. Yeah. Um, you just all kinds of stuff like that. And we do have a, we have an arrangement with a recycler for all yes, that kind of stuff. They, yeah. They, they have the technology to pull the stuff yep. out of it and they'll melt it back down and sell it back to you. Um, yeah. Yes, that's true. And then the other is um, uh, a carbon and ion exchange resin. Tanks. Okay. That's what, that's what closed loops the rinse. So there's two closed loops systems within a completely closed loop cleaning system, a batch cleaning. One is the, the wash uh, system and even on our open loop systems on our low discharge systems the wash is still closed loop we never put mm-hmm. wash solution down the drain as part of a cycle mm-hmm. ever uh, to make a machine zero discharge completely zero discharge we simply close loop the rinse side and okay. that's where it gets tricky not everyone can do this oh they can if they engineer it right but not everyone chooses to engineer it this way the, you have to take the rinse water and run it through carbon and resin uh, media um, mm-hmm. that you would rent, never buy them, just rent them from Culligan or PureTech or whoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the carbon removes the organic um, content of the wastewater, of the waste rinse water, and the ion exchange resin uh, removes the ionic 
the ions in the water, positive and negatively charged ions. So you end up with deionized water. And so you run a rinse. So the, the system is generating its, its own, own water deionized from water. From the tanks okay. that you rent. Because I'm figuring I'm going to Walmart and buying gallons nope. of DI water oh, no, 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 or no. something. <laughs> you, well, Walmart would only sell distilled water. but Distilled, it, yeah, that's so right. That's not good enough either. Um, you know. No, sir. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Distilled water is figured- iron, but you don't, you, you don't clean boards with it. And here's why. Yeah, uh, please. Deionized water is very hungry, right? It is even mm. corrosive on, on certain metals like aluminum That's and right. things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Copper, brass, it'll, it'll eat it up because it's very hungry. It's mm-hmm. absent of ions and it just wants to leach everything it can. Oh, no so, kidding. Uh, so, um, you know, cleaning boards with it is not a problem. It's not in contact with the DI water long enough. Your boards aren't going to come out dull. But also, even more importantly, batch format machines most of them anyway, allow you to test for cleanliness during mm-hmm. each rinse. And how do we mm-hmm. do that? The water that's used for rinsing is high resistivity. It's got one, two, three, four million ohms of resistance, right? It's coming out of the tanks at 18 million ohms. By the time it gets stirred around and, and, and it absorbs CO2, it's probably a million ohms. So let's just say a million okay. for the sake of discussion. So you're, you're rinsing your boards with a million ohm water, highly resistive. Well, what are you rinsing? You're rinsing off the wash solution, which contains all the soils. Mm-hmm. That is highly conductive, extremely conductive. Oh. So we, here comes our one meg water up here. I'm saying up here, no one's watching, but uh, yeah. raising my hand. And then it's mixed with the highly conductive material. So the yep. resistivity drops down mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. virtually zero. And then the next rinse happens. Comes in again at one meg ohm. And drops maybe to 10,000 ohms. And then okay. the third rinse happens. Comes in at one mega ohm, drops maybe to 300,000. Okay. And then the fourth rinse, it's 600,000. And then the fifth rinse, it's a million, whatever the number is. So yeah. every time we run a rinse, the resistivity of the rinse water drops less. So what one is able to do is program on, the, on your recipe, where do I want the rinsing to stop? Do I want it to stop at 500,000 ohms, 700,000 ohms, a million ohms, wherever? And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean the boards are clean. That's right. I was just going to say that. It means yep. that everything the rinse water is clean. <laughs> right. So one can get a, a, a false positive if they yes. rinse, if they wash with water, say they have a, a, a no clean flux or an RMA flux and they wash with water only. They forget to you know, run chemical. Then- the boards will be wet, but they'll still be dirty. And then you go to rinse, and the first rinse, it'll pass because yep. nothing soluble in the, in, to go into the rinse water to lower the resistivity. So it is not a cleanliness test. It is a process monitoring tool. Mm-hmm. Right? So yes. any cleaning company that says they're doing a cleanliness test. Right. You know, there are some cleaning companies out there that say they're doing rose testing, resistivity of solvent extract testing in their batch cleaner using water on the rinse. It's like, A, water can't detect non-polar materials and B, which board are you testing? You're, you're cleaning 40 boards at a time. I mean, is it going to over average? Right. And it's just, it's crazy, but. Well, well, let, 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 before, let me back you up here for a second, because I'm certain that many of our listeners don't know what a rose test is. And, and I, I only know rose testing as much as like, I know how to prune a tree. Like I know that tree pruning exists, but I really, I, you don't want to trust me to do it. You know what I mean? Help us understand what is rose testing. I understand it's a new ish, uh, standard 
that 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 kind of the the industry has come up with. Is that correct? Yes and no. Uh, okay, I know what you're referring to. So rose testing came out 40 years ago. Came out in the 70s. Oh, it's new. It's newish. newish. Yeah. yeah. Well, rose testing came out in the 70s, yeah. and then <laughs> the folks at at the standards governing bodies like IPC. Uh, decided way back in the 70s, early 80s, that that we should come up with a standard when using rose testing. And that standard pass-fail was 10 micrograms of sodium equivalent per square inch. Okay, so the criteria is relatively new. Yeah, well, that came out in the 70s or 80s, uh, 70s, I think. That's where they came up with the pass-fail. Okay. What IPC has finally realized, to their credit, is that pass-fail was probably a bogus number anyway. Sure. And... Because if I'm if you're building a pacemaker, are you going to be held to the same cleanliness standard than than an iPhone? Really? No. One has a high cost of failure. One has a low cost of failure. One even arguably has planned obsolescence. The other doesn't. Yeah, because if if my phone fails, I am not a happy man. Right, so but you're not going to high die. cost of failure. No, right, I know. Right, right. It's a high frustration factor, but you'd be more frustrated <laughs> yeah. if your pacemaker failed. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. As you fall to the ground, you'd be quite frustrated. So <laughs> that would be very frustrating. So the IPC uh, in 2018 revised the cleanliness testing standards. Okay. Rose testing, resistivity of solvent extract testing, which formerly was a pass fail for cleanliness, is no longer used as a cleanliness test per se. It is okay. now required to be used as a process monitoring tool. Okay. And so now instead of IPC saying, uh, Chris and, and Melissa, your board has to have a 10 or less. What they're saying, Chris and Melissa, is you need to run surface insulation resistance testing. You need to set up your process. You need to prove that your board will not fail after so many hours under heat and humidity based on SIR, surface insulation resistance. And then... If you can prove that your board did not fail after 500 hours, 1,000 hours, whatever it is, of, of testing under heat and humidity mm-hmm. conditions, mm-hmm. take that board and put it in a rose tester and see what that number says. If okay. that, let's say that number says three. As long as you keep getting a three, you don't have to do anything else. Keep shipping okay. your product. But if you got a four one day, you need to stop the presses. Well, you need to test another one, technically. Test yeah, two. Yeah, sure. If you still get a four, you need to figure out what went wrong until you mm-hmm. can bring it back down to a three. Um, you only have to do the process qualification one time, which is SIR under heat and humidity. And then you rely on the rose tester to make sure your process hasn't changed. So your rose tester is not saying your boards are clean or dirty. Your rose tester is saying nothing's changed since you've demonstrated your part will not fail if you get less than this number. How does, okay, so how does somebody like me who's building five of this and 10 of that possibly, because what I, I don't have all day to put my customers' boards, each each unique build into a test chamber with the proper temperature and humidity and, and then put it in a row. Like, like if I have a customer that says I want clean boards, I, I, there's no way I could put their board through all that testing to confirm well, that you it's put, passed you, the rose test. You do a test board. You, you don't use the actual board. You use a test board because you can't mm. do SIR on a production board because it doesn't have all the, the, the comb patterns in it and all that. So you do a test board similar to it with similar components with, and reflow it with similar materials. So there, there, is, there is a dummy board out yep. there that we could build. Like a B52 and- board or, or something else similar. 
that has you put the well, same. They type they, of, they wrote great music, man. I mean, B fifty two. I want to put that in a, Love Shack in a <laughs> yeah. test chamber. Okay, so you 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 are not testing production boards. You're testing your process. You're testing that's your process. what you're testing. And if your process, okay. if the rose tester, the resistivity of solvent extract tester, and those are ours is zero ion. There's the omega meter, the ionograph, the Gen mm-hmm. three. I used to sell the ionograph or whatever name that is. Yeah, so they all. I mean, once you get into the minutia, some will say this is better than that, or this is better than this, or this is better than that. But they're all rose testers. They all uh, perform a, a very similar function. Which and is, a rose test is is one board, one bath. Yes, it's it's not a a batch process. No, no, you wouldn't want it yes. to be because what if one was exceptionally dirty and the rest were very clean? Right. All of them would yeah. have a little bit of contamination. Uh, That's shown, right. But you you want one if possible, one board at a time. And the only exception to that is if you have boards the size of a, of a, of, of a dice, you know, like, you know, yeah. half inch by half inch. Yeah. Then if you just test one of those and a big solution, you're probably not even yeah. going to see it. Right. So you might have to, you might have to add, you know, enough to get a decent amount of area. Uh, but right. generally speaking in, in the, in the, in the real world, one board at a time. Well, you know what they say, Mike, the, uh, the solution to pollution it's is dilution. dilution. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's common in our industry. Yeah. <laughs> so my test board is going to be half an inch by half an inch. Exactly. <laughs> clean. Look at this. It's clean. <laughs> As he wipes the Dorito uh, off his, onto his shirt. Oh, it just went up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, so that's how, that's that's how interesting. Uh, boards are, are determined to be clean. And your question is is spot on. It's it, it's a great question about well, what if I'm doing five of these and ten of these for my customers? How do I how do I comply? Fortunately, IPC also has at the end of every declarative statement, like you must do this. Yes, it still allows subject to uh, agreement by the customer. You can always yes. do. We've agreed to do it this way. That's right, and that will comply as well as long as yep. both sides agree. The, That's the right. purpose of rose testing is just to make sure nothing's changed in your process. Yep. You know, every day you get a, it, it's kind of like the sonar operator on a submarine. You know, they hear this thing. What they don't want to hear is ding, ding. <laughs> they don't want to yeah. hear it coming back, right? <laughs> Uh-oh. They don't want to hear it coming back. So basically, rose testing is like that. You just rose test, you get a 0. 0.2, a 0. 0.3, a 0. 0.1, a 0. 0.4, a 0. 0.2, a 0. 0.3, and then you get a five. And then you go, whoa. <laughs> That's, Uh-oh. That's the responsive sonar thing. That's, you know, all of a sudden there's something big next to you, right? You got to stop okay. the presses and see what's wrong. Now, is this anything. something, is this something you're testing daily, weekly, monthly? Usually one board per batch or one board per day. It's okay. and, and very rarely some of our customers test every board. It only takes, if your boards are clean, it only takes a minute or two to test, you know, maybe two or three minutes max to test a board. Yeah. So it doesn't really slow it down. Um, but it depends. I wouldn't do, I don't like once a day because things can go wrong during the day and you might not see it. And then you might have to quarantine more boards and, and, and repeat the process. I like one per batch. We've become experts at quarantining. Now. <laughs> I mean, like you talk <laughs> about true. the whole world has, we know how to do that. Now. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, that, yeah, I, you know, that that's interesting because we we do have all kinds of process controls in place. And this is enlightening for me because I did not know other than just looking at it how to control a cleaning process until this conversation. Yeah. So this has been 
very enlightening for me. The cleaner should be able to, to control the process. That way you don't have the Brad effect. Sorry, Brad. You don't have the <laughs> we love Brad. Brush, brush bucket and Brad, right? Now you yeah. have the machine and Brad. And yep. if Brad, as long as Brad doesn't change the recipes, and in most, most manufacturers have password protected, you know, recipes. Sure. If, if Brad really wants to get out early Friday night because of that hot date, the, and he throws twice as many boards in the chamber, right? As he should. Yeah. Because he really yeah. wants to skip that extra cycle. Yeah. The machine will automatically say, wow, there's a lot of, a lot of contamination. Yeah. We're just going to, yeah. we're just going to add more rinses until we get yep. to that number. So Brad really won't have saved a whole lot of time by doing that. And that way it takes it out of the operator's hand. And, mm-hmm. and cause cleanliness is so tied now to reliability more than ever before mm-hmm. that even when we cleaned every board, we probably didn't even have to. Yeah. In, in theory uh, today, cleanliness and reliability are, are so close that we don't want to leave reliability up to a person. We want to leave uh, or trusting the process, you know, trusting they'll follow mm-hmm. the process. We want to make it as, as airtight as possible. And, and that's why I like batch format type machines. Mm-hmm. You know, our brand, mm-hmm. any brand, I, I'm only half sincere when I say that, but, but the point is, <laughs> the point is the, the batch technology allows that type of testing to go on and process monitoring. An inline machine can't, um, can't do that because the conveyor is always moving at the same speed. And if a board is tested to be dirty, it can't just like have a robot arm, pick it up and move it back and do it again. Right. So, uh, an inline machine, a conveyorized machine, you, you rely on the process, you rely on the testing and you rely yeah. on nothing's changed upstream, uh, or at I the see machine. nothing. I, I hear nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> You're very young to remember Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> I watched a lot of TV when I was I a kid. I guess so. Probably Nick at Night, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. All right. So uh, my my head is swimming with 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 questions still. But I think what I'd like to do is, if we could, I think it would be a good idea to summarize our discussion a little bit because we covered a lot of topics here. First of all, don't use trichlor. We can all agree on that. We can't right? buy it Tri- anyway. Yeah. Well, you know what? You can buy something though, because I had this customer in Connecticut who had a vapor degreaser and they well, were buying something. The, the, something in there. The issue with solvents in general is every year there are more and more solvents that are on the hit list, right? So they all mm. eventually rotate out. Um, the issue is if you live in an urban area, um, like I, well, I don't live in an urban area, but I live in a sub, suburbia area of an yeah. urban area. So yeah. we have. Um, AQMD, air quality management districts, and mm-hmm. every all throughout the country there are air quality management districts. And when you have mm-hmm. one, they generally regulate VOC emissions, volatile organic compound emissions, which yep. basically are solvents, to 50 grams per liter. And that's a pretty low number. In areas that are known for pollution, like Los Angeles, we have our own special AQMD called South Coast mm. AQMD, SCAQMD. And the folks that work there have a calculator on their desk, which only has three buttons on it. You ever seen a three button calculator? It, nope. It has divide by two equals. So whatever the federal <laughs> limit is, their limit is half of that, whether it makes sense or not. So they, 
So our, how many times have you told that one too? He, many times. It doesn't go over <laughs> bars very well because it, someone has to be really drunk to, yeah. you know, just not understand what I'm saying. Yeah. But basically, if it's 50 on the on the national level, it's 25 in those areas. Okay. Which means I have a theory that if it tastes good or cleans well, it's fattening or illegal. Right? That's right. And and that falls into this category. So. The, the solvents are problematic and VOCs are not just solvent issues. The cleaners that Eric sells you and other companies sell all have VOC ratings mm-hmm. and you have to make sure you're running a chemical that is compatible with your regions. If they have a, a, a setting, if they have a, a, a regulation, you have to make sure it's compatible with that because you don't want to get into trouble with your air quality management district. Sure. Yeah. And everything is adding to that. So it's like when they're measuring this, it's not, are they, are they putting sensors on your building or they're just, they have sensors throughout the city? No, How are they? And they'll come in and they'll look at the uh, SDS sheet on your, on your uh, chemical oh. and they'll see what the, uh, what the VOC content is. But just keep in mind that it's the VOC rules are at the in use concentration. So it might have a VOC content of 400, but you only use it at 10%. Right. So. Oh, um, right. Yeah. So you have to look at that. You have to look at what the in-use concentration is and your chemical supplier can tell you that. And in most cases, it's not an issue. This, this is, this is crazy, Mike, like the amount of technical details. I think this is one thing, again, getting back to the genesis of the show and why we do this show is to expose what it takes to get this stuff done. Because, you know, for, for a long time, we've had people say, well, why can't you just clean my boards? It's like, oh, trust me, it ain't that easy. <laughs> it's not just like rinsing this in the sink, man. It's like, like go big or go home. Strategy. There's a lot of work to do in order to get this right. And I knew there was a lot of work to do. And that's why I pushed back on it for so long. Um, but like I said, you know, we, we, we see the, we see more and more demand for it now. Um, but okay, so we're 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 not going to vapor degrease. We know we know that that is not a path that Worthington or Circuit Hub want to head down. Uh, we uh, we have a couple options. We 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 can either switch to using organic acid for when we want to clean boards, or we can continue to use the chemistries we have been using, which is a no clean chemistry by um, uh, Henkel, which is I mean probably if not the largest chemical company in the world, nearly the largest. They're they're a massive chemical mm-hmm. company. Um, and we'll probably continue to use that. So that way there, we have some flexibility. We can just have one process for assembly and then we can determine if we need to clean these boards for this customer or, or ship them as no clean as we have been. Um, and then, uh, uh, then we have a decision to make, are we going to get a conveyorized machine or a batch machine so far? Spoiler alert. Uh, we're probably not going to get a conveyorized machine, <laughs> but it was an interesting discussion to understand that a little bit better. If that was, um, if that was even an option and, and what the downsides were to it. And uh, it sounds like we have got to invest some time and energy in understanding uh, process control, cleaning process control, and making sure we have a system for monitoring that, checking that. And uh, and then, of course, also coming up with if we choose to use a zero discharge, well, that solves that problem. If we choose not to buy a zero discharge, then we got to figure out a way to manage that so that we keep everybody here in South Deerfield Massachusetts happy and uh, considering we live here, we would like to keep ourselves happy as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it is our backyard after all. Um, yeah, really, really fascinating stuff. Uh, 
you know, is there anything else we haven't touched on that you think might be kind of an important thing for, okay, let me put it this way. If I may, one thing we like to do is we like to make sure we give everybody an opportunity such as yourself, uh, the chance to offer advice to designers and engineers who are creating products as it relates to our discussion today. Um, is there something you can encourage them like, okay, you're thinking about cleaning. Um, uh, what is going to make your life? Let me put it this way. I guess it's really a two part question. First is what makes cleaning easier? How can you design your product in such a way that it might make cleaning a little bit easier and, and a little less painful and you'll have a higher success rate when, when we go to clean your boards. And I guess the second part of the question is, um, you know, how does a person even determine whether or not their product should be cleaned besides reliability you know from a, from a from a design perspective is there something about the design that is going to force them to require cleaning and i'll challenge you on that if i agree, disagree <laughs> yeah yeah well those, those are great questions i wish more people asked those questions uh, because things would be well maybe i don't because yeah if, cleaning was that easy. There'd be yeah. thousand cus, cus, uh, companies selling cleaners. I think space is always our friend. So if there are mechanical tricks to, this is the stock answer. Raise isn't it, Melissa? The, yeah. yeah. Raise the, uh, the, the, the standoff height. Uh, so to give the machine and the, and the fluids a chance to properly impinge under, under there. Uh, BTCs are the bane of our existence. Well, basically, you, how can you possibly clean it? There's, there's no, you can't. There is no clearance. It's, well, it's, there's nothing it's, to get under it. Well, if it's, yeah, there's usually a couple mil. Uh, we can pretty much really? go down to a couple mil, but doesn't look like much. I know. I mean, you can ba- rarely floss it, you know, with with yeah. human hair, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's very, very small. But there are, you know, we've learned, and other companies in the equipment industry and and the chemical industry have learned the mechanical tricks to to get that to happen, and that's where chemical becomes our friend because chemical lowers the surface sure. tension. Yep. Uh, but then you have to rinse it, you know, with higher surface tension rinse water. So you have fat water chasing skinny water. But there, there's things you can do mechanically. We don't need to go down that road. But it's like it's like me when I go to the gym. You know, I'm 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 the fat guy chasing, chasing the skinny, the skinny guy. I'll, yeah, I'll be one of is. you someday. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think the skinny guys are just posers. I think they get they're yeah. paid to just stand next to machines and look sweaty. Go <laughs> <laughs> in the back and have people spray water on them to make them look like they've been working out. <laughs> But so, like when you say bottom terminated component, let's let's put uh, rubber to road here. We're talking QFN, right? Yeah. We're talking QFN's SON. The poster child. QFN's okay. the poster child. BGAs, but are not BGA. Oh, BGA, BGA you've got clearance. Yeah, you, yeah have, you can get right under them. Yeah, BGAs are fine. Um, yeah, but you know, BGAs produced a, an inspection challenge. You know, back in the day. Yes. You know, and, yeah. And that's where X-ray really got its you know its its teeth into our industry. Uh, yeah. Is, is through BGAs. But uh, from a cleaning standpoint, you know, we like space, but we don't always get it. And we rarely get it. I wouldn't really go too far into recommend they change things because okay. cleaning is still not 100%. Not 100% of all assemblies are going to be cleaned. It's a growing mm-hmm. percentage, but it's not 100%. And cleaning is very frequently, particularly today, an afterthought. You know, all yeah. of a sudden, someone like yourself will go, shoot, my customers are asking for cleaners. I got to. That's right. And you're not going to go back to your customer they put a bid out to four contract manufacturers and one of them, yours says, we'll take it, but we recommend that you give us eight mil clearance on that uh, QFN. (laughs) 
they're going to go, nope, we're going to go with the other guy because we don't want to make how, any how, how do you change the clearance of a Q? I don't even know how that's possible to change the clearance of a QFN. Well, you, it's, you, it, it's, it's either on of, the board soldered or it's not. Well, it's, it's a question of raising the bridge or lowering the water. In this case, it would be lowering the water. So they can do that by, by um, routing out or, or, or changing the masking on a board. And, uh. and if you remove some masking material around the part, you, in essence, give a little bit of clearance it, it traps less. It traps less. It allows the don't you dare, Mike. Don't escape. you, don't you dare. I love solder mask. I want it everywhere. I Absolutely. need to put solder. Absolutely, and that's <laughs> goes back to our fundamental of you know uh, who was it? What company was it where their trademark was "do no harm"? Google. Google. Right. I don't know if they still say that anymore, but, but no, I don't think they do. This is kind of a do no, no harm. No, they were don't be evil. That's what oh, it don't was. Be don't evil. be evil. Okay. Yeah. Well, someone else had do yeah. no harm. And this is kind of a do no harm. Doctors. Doctors. Yeah. They're, <laughs> I mean, they're to go, so, you know, I promise not to kill people <laughs> yeah. intentionally. Yeah. So we don't want to, we don't want to kill people intentionally. We don't want to do things like remove too much mask and then there's other issues. The mask was there for a reason, but there are. Yeah. Because we, we, we've had issues where we've had what we call gang solder masks openings where like all like the whole row of leads on a QFN are completely exposed with no solder mask in between them. And it just, it's, it, it creates a really cool looking caterpillar, but not mm. a great, you know, uh, solder joint. Sure. Window painting, you know, from the stencil standpoint, uh, can help with some, some things like that too. But I'm not a big proponent of going back to the drawing board and asking people to change things. We, in, in the cleaning world, we get what we get. We are, you know, we get all the hand-me-downs we get. Yeah. Because, it was never designed. It was barely designed for manufacturability. It's not never yeah. designed for cleanability, right? So, never. So we we just figure out a way to do it, and we're constantly challenged. The chemical companies are challenged. We're challenged, and and so far, you know, we overcome it. And some applications are more difficult than others, but um, there's no application yet that I'm aware of where we just have to tell a customer, "Oh, sorry, <laughs> can't do anything. You're 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 SOL. You can't do anything." So we we've always been able as an industry, we've always been able to overcome those challenges. And, you know, we, we not only have to overcome the challenges today, when we design new equipment, we have to, you know, our, our goal is to have a 10 year relevancy. So we have to have a crystal ball and we have to assume if, if, um, you know, four mil or three mil or two mils are the standoffs today, will one be the standoff tomorrow? And we have to design for that as does everyone else in our industry. Uh, now, I guess the second question was really, okay, so I think you know if you have a high reliability product. It's going in an airplane. It's part of a safety system on a car. It's going inside a human body. These are super high reliability applications. But let's say, um, you know, uh, you know, we, we, have a, we have an interesting customer that uh, they make um, – um, they're they're like power supplies for for I don't know anyway they're a power supply for like Bitcoin mining you know it's super high efficient mm -hmm. uh, system that that you know because it costs a lot of energy farm to type stuff yeah that kind of stuff there's an application where they 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 want to have a high reliability product because they want to sell it to their customer and their customer wants to get their bitcoins they don't want their power supply to go down on them uh, but they're not a critical like nobody's going to die if that if that fails on them right. but they might have an angry customer who misses out on thousands of dollars because it it failed on them is this just a sort of 
I guess my question is, is this, is it that subjective where you decide that, well, you know what, I'm willing to pay for the clean boards because I want it more reliable or nah, I, you know, I'm, if I get five years out of it, I'm, I'm happy with that kind of reliability or is it more scientific than that? Is there something more tangible where you can say, no, 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 like, like you see this part you're using here, you, you, you kind of have to clean that. You can't let that go. I, I'm curious if it gets that fine grained or if it really is that subjective, just up to the engineer, up to the sales team, whether or not they want to have a clean board. Yeah, it really has to do with the the life of the product, the cost of failure, the climactic and use environment, the parts going to go into, the standoff heights, the component density. All those are factors that determine if cleaning is an appropriate uh Practice. I knew I knew you, I knew you weren't going to give me a black and white line. Well, it, you know the problem <laughs> with all answers in our industry is you know the first two words is well it depends right it depends it depends. So the not not just a diaper company anymore. Not just a diaper company anymore. Right? Exactly. <laughs> it is now the answer to any technical question. <laughs> so I would say it, electrochemical migration, which is the reason we're cleaning, right, is mm-hmm. to avoid mm-hmm. electrochemical migration, dendritic growth, which are metal crystals forming between cathodes and anodes that, that short out when they reach the other end. And yeah, you want to see some really cool pictures. Look at some electron microscope scans of dendrite oh, growth. Yeah, that is scary, right? awesome it's stuff. Scary. Yeah. yeah, It's like taking metal shavings and sprinkling them on your boards while they're plugged yeah. in, right? It's the same yeah. effect. And then there's parasitic leakage, which is, which is a really um, insidious problem because it's temporary. It doesn't blow up the board, but it causes the board right. to function properly, like it won't calibrate, but it's only temporary when the conditions And then it goes right. away. It goes away, yeah. comes back, goes away. Uh, and, um, what about so, tin whiskering? Have they figured that one out yet? Yeah, that's not a cleaning issue. Tin whiskering is, is another phenomenon, um, yeah. where dendritic growth grows, uh, parallel to the board. Yes. Uh, tin whiskers grow perpendicular to the board. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not, that's not the same. It's, I don't know if it even falls within an ECM category. It might technically, yeah. but it's not, it's not something you're going to clean your way out of it's like conductive nodic filament, which is. ECM within the layers of the board. Um, mm-hmm. That is an ECM problem, but you can't clean your way out of it because the problem is in the mm-hmm. layers of the board. There's a whole other solution mm-hmm. for that. But oh, I would boy. say the, the average ECM event, failure event, and there are exceptions to this, but the average are between 8 and 18 months. It will take for a dendrite to grow. They don't grow wow. fast, right? Uh, and they only I'm surprised. The one, honestly, I'm surprised it's as fast as that. Yeah, well, it could be longer and it could be shorter. But like I've got, I've got a, I've got a Apple uh, display sitting in front of me, not, not an iMac, but just one of their displays. So it was manufactured in 2008. Works great. Absolutely beautiful. You know, um, but then again, it has sat in a room that a goes from it has 67 not- to 72 all year right. and doesn't get wet. And <laughs> get outside in Massachusetts in, in yeah. August, right? And yeah. It'll last one season, right? Yeah. I have a... Uh, Saltwater no, it's pool. pretty comfortable in Massachusetts in August. Okay. Well, I get your point. Yeah, I get yeah, your point. Make it How about February? February. February, yes. <laughs> I, have a, um, I have a swimming pool in my backyard. It's a saltwater pool. So we have a salt system, which mm-hmm. which just basically salt turns to chlorine. So that's salt. Understood. And I have a controller outside. And I've replaced the, uh, the salt cell controller three times in 11 years. Three times. And each time, it's been... Dendritic growth. And I, and of course, this is a consumer part. No one's going to die, right? If if the salt system fails on the pool, just have to throw a coin in it. No big deal. And 
so, you know, I've contacted the manufacturer and I've, I've told them what the problem was and they don't really. You know. Oh, I love, I'm sure they love to <laughs> oh, hear I love it. love to hear from me. It's like, you have an ECM <laughs> issue. But, you know, to convince them to change it, to start a cleaning process when their part is, is not critical. Is it, is it Hayward by any chance? Is it Hayward? It is. Um, uh, yes, it is Hayward, as a matter of fact. So those are made right in Rhode Island. They, they have their own manufacturing operation, and no, they do not clean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I can see from their standpoint, there's no clean. We're a consumer yeah. company. They are, yeah. at best, class two. At best, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. even class one, but certainly yeah, class two. at that at that volume and for that application, they're they're going to be class two, but they could probably be borderline class one. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's not it's not an alarm system. It's not no. Nope. You know, it's 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 stuff that can fail and no one's going to die. So, like, have you ever taken apart like I've I've had to repair like my stove before and fridge and stuff like that, washing machine. Those boards, like I don't even know how they can call those class one. Those things are like class half. Yes. Like unbelievable. I'm like, I can't believe. I I mean, I know the margins are razor thin Sometimes on appliances. no masking at all. Right? Oh my gosh. It's exactly. It's like, I look at. It's like phenolic and, 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 and wire at the other side. I mean, that's what it It blows like. my mind because circuit boards are so cheap and yet they found a way to save 25 cents. Yep. It's like, oh my gosh, yeah. this is unbelievable. Well, you talk about Sorry. saving 25 cents. You know, a lot of the obstacles to cleaning, I think universally people will agree a clean board is more reliable than a dirty board, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Unless like in your a case- properly A properly cleaned cleaned board. board. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Yeah. You, you drank the Kool-Aid and it's starting to yeah. show. Um, <laughs> and one of the obstacles that a lot of people will be so resistive to cleaning. They would rather fix boards and replace boards than prevent the problem to begin with because oh, they think that there's a big barrier and they think the barrier is price. The average cost, average cost on a batch machine, not an inline, that's a whole different animal, but on a batch machine, pretty much regardless of whose brand of batch machine, the average Wait, cost- hang on, let, me, let me make sure I'm sitting down. It, I don't want to faint. Five to seven cents a board. What? Five to seven and and if you factor this is in, dear listener, we are going to charge you more than seven cents. Exactly. I promise. Exactly. Be prepared for that. I'm not okay. counting labor. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not counting the price of the machine. But if you add right. in a seven year depreciation, you know, IRS sure. uh, scheduled depreciation uh, on on a machine, it's it's going to be a little bit more, but not much. The point mm-hmm. being, it is not anywhere near the most expensive, you know, uh, part of your process, and mm-hmm. it is the one part of the process that is only done to improve reliability. You don't use your printer to improve reliability. You use your printer to get the parts on the board. You use your reflow oven to reflow the solder paste. You use your- That is so true. AOI, okay, AOI is is maybe less accurate, maybe less reliability, more accuracy, which could be reliability, but cleaning- It's process control. Right, but cleaning is only done to improve reliability. That's the only reason why we clean. And if you don't have mm-hmm. to improve the reliability because you're reliable enough, you don't even need to clean. So it is an it is a hundred percent reliability enhancement tool. That's all it's for. That is, I can't even I can't even tell you how much I've enjoyed this conversation. Like it has just been so like like I've never even thought about that before. I've always just thought about it like from a oh, it's, it's, it's an aesthetic thing. And yeah, it's a reliability thing, but you know, sometimes it's necessary, but you're right. It, it is, it is a reliability 
process. Yep. It is is a process to improve. I guess one process that you could lump into that would be conformal coding, right? Well, yes, that's about reliability. One should clean before the conformal code, but you'd be yeah. surprised how many people don't. No, no, we have plenty of customers that request do not clean and do conformal code, right. and that is what they want. Right. Yeah, which is that is what they want, which is you know crazy, but. <laughs> Not that hey, customer, don't call my customers crazy. No, your customers aren't crazy. The concept, <laughs> the concept is is a little, a little crazy. And that, what people don't realize is, their intentions to conformally code are good, right? Yes, they conformally code to keep bad things off the surface of the board. What yep. they don't, but realize they've already is got bad things on, on the, board. the board. They've created this <laughs> sarcophagus. They have King Tut buried with all his possessions, you know. And, and this is a case of all the bad actors being put in one jail cell and and the door locked, right? The, the um, what people don't realize is conformal coding. It takes three things to form ECM. Three things. That's all. It takes an electrical bias, which your customers provide the moment they turn the switch on. It takes um, a conductive um, residue, and it takes moisture. Take any one okay. of those three out, and you'll never have an ECM issue. So you can solve ECM by not giving it any power, but that that's the E in ECM. Obviously, that's not a good solution. You can, I think that'll work. Yeah, I think that'll, that'll work. The board will last forever if you never turn it on. <laughs> right? it's, it's like a lifetime guarantee. Uh, just yeah. never turn it on. Uh, turning on voids the warranty. The other is um, to prevent uh, moisture. So a lot of people go, well, you can have a lot of residue. If you don't have moisture, you don't have that catalyst to form ECM. So what a lot of people will do is say, well, I'll conformal coat my boards. That will protect it against moisture. It doesn't. It protects it against fluids. All Conformal coating materials from acrylics to perylenes are permeable. They all have a membrane structure. They Even perylene. Perylene. It'll totally let moisture through. Not enough to create huh. a short. You know, that's what you're, you, know, you if I had a, you know, if I take my big drink right here and I pour it over my MacBook Pro, my MacBook Pro would be toast, uh, you know, yeah. high unless it was conformally coated. If it was conformally coated, it would protect it. But yeah. conformal coating protects against droplets large enough to create a short. It does not. Yeah stop moisture from permeating through and you know we have on our webinars we show this all the time we have uh, photographs of dendrites growing under conformal coating and that could not yeah. happen if there was no moisture so great point coating to avoid cleaning a it's a it's a it's a failed um, logic and mm -hmm. b even if it was even if it was a good logic the best practices for conformal coating is to clean before you coat so if you're yes cleaning to do conformal coating to avoid cleaning, then circular logic works because circular logic works because circular logic works. <laughs> uh, funny. <laughs> I like it. You've given me a lot to think about. This is, this has been enormously educating for myself. I hope, I, I hope it has been for the listeners as well. Um, I, again, it's, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat this until um, I, I'm blue in the face, but I love peeling back the curtain of this operation and how we get things done that we get done and helping customers to understand really the details of, of what we're talking about when we talk about what it takes to clean a board. It's not just as simple as dumping it under the sink faucet 
Like it's going to take some work. It's going to take some equipment. It's going to take some process control. It's going to take some chemistry, you know, floor space. And, and that's why we can't charge a nickel a board. You know, there's, there's all these other (laughs) things we have to, we have to manage. We, that nickel a board is just to pay for the machine, not for the people, not for the chemistry, not for the water, not for the energy, not for the floor space. And you're paying for that machine, whether you're cleaning in it or not that day, but that's right. Yeah. And you better keep it running. You better keep it full. Otherwise it's going to be 25 cents a board just exactly. to pay for the machine. Well, what yeah. you are selling, the service that you're providing is enhanced reliability. That's that's right. There are a thousand things that'll kill a circuit board. One of them being electrochemical migration. You can take that, that one one thousandth off, off the list. And I love it. And the, now they only have to worry about 999 other things. That, yeah, that tin whiskers and uh, tin whiskers yeah, and lead corrosion and you know whatever, uh, right? Or tombstone uh, inter, yeah, intermetallic uh, joints that fail from copper dissolution right. and uh, lead-free alloys. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of other things to keep started. you up at night, but we can at least take this one off the table. This is an easy. And one. if you want to hear about more of those things, Mike again has an excellent podcast called Reliability Matters, where they discuss such things. <laughs> Good segue. Uh, yeah. Hey, hey, look, I'm getting, a, I'm being a professional someday. Absolutely. Um, someday, now, I think you are now. <laughs> my, my absolute most favorite part of the show, and I apologize, Mike, I did not prepare you for this, but I, I think you're nimble enough on your feet to handle this one. I have lots of pet peeves. I, there's so many things that just don't make sense to me and just drive me crazy. And I love to complain about them. In fact, uh, Melissa and her partner bought me a t-shirt that said, um, it's like, like member of the pissimone about everything club. That's it. That's it. That's me. That's me. Right. Nothing in this world is so perfect that it can't be improved. And that's what I think pet peeves are really the result of. Isn't that right? We're just trying to improve the world. That's all it is. Yeah. But we invite our guests to share their pet peeves. Like, like what is it? It doesn't have to be about circuit boards. It doesn't have to be about our industry. It can be about anything. For example, one that I've shared regularly is is the lack of use of Oxford commas drives me crazy. Drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> yes. I have people tell so, me I'm wrong. And you're talking about when you say this, comma, this, comma, this, comma, and, and they will this. not put the last comma on there. That's correct. Right? Yeah. That's correct. That's- because they read an article or, or they were taught in grade school that you're not supposed to put the comma before the second and, but there's a big difference between having grandma for dinner and having grandma for dinner. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, yes. I, I do have pet peeves and they're oh, kind of oh all over the map. Can you share one? Oh, sure. I, I'm a grammar Nazi. So- I, I don't like they when always people come down to grammar. get grammar wrong or, or they make up words like supposedly. Right? Oh. Like, I, I, I can't stand that. I also can't stand when people go, I could care less. <laughs> oh. No, <laughs> no. It's like, couldn't care less. I, could I couldn't care less. Care I less. Care, right. It's like, yes. Yes. So think about the words you're saying. And I also yes. can't stand it when the plane reaches the gate and everyone stands up. Oh yeah. It it drives me crazy. Yeah, that's right. You you know what? I I have been watching the aisle seat and the two people to the left of me or to Mm -hmm. the right of me, um, want are are mad at me because I'm not getting up. Right. I'm not moving anywhere for 20 minutes. I'm going to sit right Right. here. That's right. That's why that's why I'm a window seat, man. I take my time. I will sometimes wait till like everybody's off the plane and then nobody's rushing me because if I don't have another plane to catch. See, I can't do window seats anymore. I used to all the time because I also, it gives you a place to put your head against something, you know. Exactly. But you get to my age, that you have to go to the bathroom all the time. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's like I plan 
I plan my seat, you know, strategically to the toilet. <laughs> I, I want to sit on I'm the getting aisle. There. I also want to make sure that there's not going to be, you know, statistically speaking, a beverage cart between me and the bathroom at any given moment. <laughs> yeah. so I fly up front a lot now. I, I've got a bazillion miles that I've earned over my lifetime. And so I always sure. fly first class using my miles. And the best thing about that isn't the wide seat. It isn't the warm, you know, peanuts. It isn't the drink while you're taxiing to the, or takeoff. It's the fact that you, there's only, you know, eight people sharing one bathroom and, right. and I can always get there. That's, that's <laughs> what's important to me at my age now. I appreciate that. <laughs> You'll get there. You'll get I there appreciate eventually. that. Well, I think I shared one recently. Did I share this last week? It's similar to your supposedly and your uh, I, I could care less. I shared, uh, at least I think I did. The one that drives me crazy um, is when people say irregardless. Irregardless. Oh, yes. yeah. Rather right? than regardless. Yes. Or irrespective. It's like either use irrespective or use regardless. Yes. Those are real words. Irregardless is not a real yes, word. Yes. I, I am, I'm terrible with, with, with that. Uh, I also hate when people end a statement with a question mark. I hope you're doing well today. Question mark. That's not a question. Mm. Are you doing well today? Is a question. I hope you're doing well today. Wait, so you're saying in text form. In text yeah, like in form, an email or something. In an email. They would, they would put a question mark after that? All the that? time. All the time. I hope you're doing well today. Question mark. It's like that's insane. I'll just inflect. Who would do, do that? The, do the inflection, and it doesn't make sense. I hope you're doing well today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> say it as you're writing it, and you'll realize it doesn't make sense. Oh, that's great. Oh, okay. All right. So we, we've poor people with poor grammar. I I feel like we're picking on them too much. Is is there any industry related pet peeves you have that you might want to share? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, people who. <laughs> People who um, want to clean misprints in their board cleaner. Ah, uh, oh, crud. Are, are looking, I want to do that. Are looking, nope, nope, nope. Don't do it. Buy a, buy a stencil Ugh. cleaner for your misprints or stencils. Buy a board cleaner for oh. that. And there are, there are plenty of companies out there that will tell you that you can do it in one machine. But you're in for trouble. Because when that water hits the misprinted paste, it solubilizes the flux component. And all okay. those millions of little solder spheres, those hundreds yeah. of thousands of solder spheres go everywhere. What about pre? What about just like a pre-wipe? You know, get mostly off and then finish it in the in the machine. Yeah, yeah. Mm -mm. Still not great. No, 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 not at all. Okay. I remember once going into a customer; their solenoids were clogged. They they were they were leaking. They were allowed the diaphragm wouldn't seat properly. They were allowing water to get by under pressure where it shouldn't have. And that's a tell. That's a tell, right? That oh, I'll bet you they've had solder paste in there, and because the, the spheres don't solubilize, they stay metal. They go everywhere. And that's right. Kind of like hardening of the arteries, right? You eat those Doritos breakfast, lunch, Oof. and dinner. It's going to look like your board cleaner after you've cleaned stencils in it or misprint. <laughs> and so I went up to the machine and I just took a piece. I asked, asked them, you have a tape dispenser? Like a, just a, you know, regular tape dispenser. And like, yeah. So I took a piece of clear tape and I, I just matted it on the floor of the, of the chamber, the cleaning chamber. Oh no. Like a sticky brush. And then I said, can I borrow a scope? And I turned it upside down and I put it under a scope. And of course there's, thousands of tiny little solder spheres, you know, sticking to the yeah. tape and I'm like, okay, someone's been cleaning this. These aren't solder balls. Solder balls are huge. Right. But th these are, this is, this, this is just solder paste, right? Spheres. So what, what makes a stencil cleaner different that it can handle the, uh, little tiny solder spheres? Because all it's seeing is stencils and it's not worried about, um, a rogue bit of solder paste 
making its way under a component on a on an A side when you're doing a B side a B side misprint. So imagine, you know, you don't always make mistakes on the A side. You make mistakes on the B side as well. Sure. So someone's reflow, uh, someone's got a, a a reason to reflow a B side or there's components on the other side that's already been put on. And the spray and air systems hit that pace that dissolves the, the, the flux component. And these solder balls are just flying everywhere. Some will get into vias. Some will go down a via mm-hmm. below mm-hmm. A, a component on the other side. Uh, they're going to get everywhere. And some are not going to make it into the drain and into the filter. They're going to hide out in the crevices of the machine. So the next time you put a bunch of assembled boards in there and do a regular cleaning process, they're going to dislodge and they're going to find their way onto a board. Uh, That's, that's the the main problem. Mm. And so I, I just like, I I don't like, there are certain things that are designed for certain applications. And if you, if you use it for another application, it might work a time or two, but then you don't want to go back to the original application. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I I don't want to take a shower where an engine was cleaned in it, you know, uh, the day before, you know, cause it's just going to leave grimy residue that it's going to get on me next time. I, that's, that's a good analogy. I think boards well done. should be cleaned in board cleaners and stencils and misprint should be cleaned in stencil and misprint cleaners. Don't mix the two. And very good. And I'm speaking as if everyone has a, you know, all the money in the world. So yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. not saying it's, it's the financially the cheapest way to do it, but when you factor in failures that can occur by commingling two polar opposite um, applications, then, then it is probably the cheaper way to do it. But from an yep. equipment standpoint, it, keep them separate. And, yep. and don't yep. wipe a board. Wipe a stencil. Absolutely. Wipe a stencil before you clean it in a stencil cleaner. But don't wipe a board because you're going to end up basically printing, pushing some of that paste down a via. Oh, you absolutely are. Yeah. And, and I guess my hope was that uh, it, would, it would extract that from the via, you know, through the cleaning process, but maybe not, I guess maybe not. Huh? Oh, yeah, you'll clean out it. Yeah. You'll, you'll clean it out. The, the, the problem is, is while things are all flying through the air, this chaos of all these thousands of solder spheres just flying around may lodge themselves in an area where, that, that can't be cleaned because we rely yeah. on whatever we're trying to remove that's under a component to dissolve mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, and go mm-hmm. into solution. We mm-hmm. don't, we don't have to force a metal ball out by just sheer pressure. Because we might be pushing it against a dead end, right? And all we're doing is lodging it further. Uh, mm-hmm. If it dissolved, it would be cleanable. But if it doesn't dissolve, the cleaning process is not meant to remove anything that doesn't dissolve. It, it's it it might knock off a solder ball, but it's not going to dissolve it, right? It might just probably it. it's going to dislodge the solder ball because the solder ball was only there because it was stuck there by flux right. and since we've dissolved the flux it's it's going to fall off yeah. just cuz gravity right, right. <laughs> yeah um all right mike thank you so much for being mm-hmm. on the show thank you. i i have so much appreciation gratitude for this i i've thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it um if you ever need like an unbelievable dummy on your show, I am happy to oblige. I would love to have uh, you on my show. Yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a contract assembler, I, I haven't, have I had any contract assemblers on my show? I don't think so. And that's, well, there that's you on go. my list. It's because you've got nothing but doctors on the show. When you get the associate's degrees like me, you know, it's like, pff, what are we going to talk about? 
funny. On, a, on another show, uh, Concept Creation, which is the brand new show, uh, talks about entrepreneurs in the EMS space. I, I interviewed someone uh, on my first episode that got his associate's degree at 13. Oh, 13. Wow. Hey, we hey. all think we're smart people until we talk to people like that, right? Oh. And then he got his, uh, his, his uh, bachelor's in engineering and then his master's in engineering and his PhD and then went back for an MBA. And, you know, I wanted to call, him, I wanted to call him Doogie Howser, uh, yeah. but I, I don't think that would have gone over well, but, but when are you going to make something of your life? Oh Come my, on. yeah, exactly. I'm like, yeah, total <laughs> underachiever, but, <laughs> but no, very impressive, very impressive resume. But you know, by the time you get to my age, it's, and you're still in the, in the time of your life when your experience matters as much as your education, when you get sure a little past that it's really more about experience than yeah. education because I'm a college dropout. You know, I, I, I didn't even stick around for my AA. I, I got like a lowercase <laughs> a, a single lowercase a supposedly, but I could supposedly, <laughs> I think that's how we end the show that's right there. Mike. I think action. that was, that was, well, you got to hit your soundboard. How are, how are you missing that one? That was a perfect opportunity. Well, we could do go. that or we could just do the bada bing. Oh, that's it. That's it. I love it. Um, come back anytime, please. You know, if you're in the New England area, uh, I, I don't know how it's working yet. For a long time, we we were not allowing anybody except for necessary person. Like if you were fixing a machine, you were allowed in the building. But if you were just trying to sell something, even though we have to buy things, we weren't allowing sales. Well, I think it's building, essential repair people or podcast hosts. That's podcast hosts. I think that's, that's I think that's an yeah. Uh, but please, if you're in the New England area, please stop by. We would uh, we'd love to host you and, and show you around a little bit. And just thank you, thank you, thank you a million times. If people want to uh, ask you questions, uh, I assume I know you're prolific on LinkedIn, but uh, do you have? Are you on Twitter? Or, uh, do you post anywhere? Do you have conversations with people? What's what's the best way to get in touch with you? Well, if you do LinkedIn, it's M like Mike T like Thomas Conrad with a K M T Conrad on Twitter. It's Mike Conrad. Um, the best email address, I have a million email addresses. The best one to get me at, um, is Mike at Mike Conrad.com. That's Conrad. Oh, there you okay. go. Um, and, uh, the, the company is aqueous technologies. Uh, but, uh, feel free to reach out uh, to me directly at Mike at Mike Conrad.com. And I'll be happy to answer any questions I can. And if I can't, I'll point you in the right direction. Unlike certain hosts of the show who shall go unnamed <clears throat> myself, uh, Mike actually responds to his emails. So, uh, you know, be, be, feel, feel free, com uh, feel comfortable to reach out to him and, uh, and pick his brain as much as we have already today. Yes, I'm sure he it. won't mind it at all. Absolutely. As always, you can email us at contact, uh, at pickplacepodcast.com and you can tweet at us at circuit hub or at W assembly. Thanks for listening to the Pick Place podcast. If you like what you heard, consider subscribing in your favorite podcast app and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you so much, everybody. Well, that's another episode. Thanks for listening to part one of this two-part episode. Thanks also to Chris Denny and Melissa Hogue of Worthington and Circuit Hub, respectively. Check out the Pick Place podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many other podcast sites. And while you're at it, be sure and subscribe to the Reliability Matters podcast, also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and virtually wherever you get your podcasts. We release new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month. 
Also, be sure and check out our newest podcast, the Concept to Creation podcast, where we have conversations with EMS industry entrepreneurs about their journey into business. They discuss their successes, failures, challenges, and inspirations, and provide advice for budding entrepreneurs. These are fascinating conversations with the leaders of our industry. We release new episodes of Concept to Creation on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Thanks also to Circuit Assembly's PCB Chat at pcbchat.com and Ascendo Reliability's reliability.fm for syndicating the show. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay happy, and keep doing it right. Thanks for listening to the Reliability Matters Podcast. Join us on the second and fourth Tuesday of each month for new episodes of Reliability Matters. 